0: The Digital Transition. The Digital Transition, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies. Where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the digital transition. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm talking with Kelly Cohn from ClearEdge 3D about laser scanning and how technology is changing the way in which we capture existing assets. But before I talk to Kelly, I need to talk to you about our exclusive podcast sponsor, NBS. NBS, through their key product, NBS Chorus, is revolutionizing construction specification through cloud based collaboration. NBS Chorus integrates seamlessly with your BIM in ARCHICAD and Revit and also now in Vectorworks. Now, this increases productivity and reduces risk of conflicting information deliverables. To learn more about NBS, head to their website, www.thenbs.com.au. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today, Kelly. Good to be here, Nathan. Now, firstly, Kelly... For those that are not aware of who you are, and you are a big character when we uh, attend these built conferences, you're well known in those circles around the globe, but for those that are listening today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. I uh, went to a college to be an architect and then uh, rapidly found out that was not particularly lucrative. Um,
0: <laughs> Maybe you're the smart so- one here.
1: <laughs> and so I, I, leaned hard into technology. I was ar- already kind of inclined that way, but, uh, uh, yeah, I went to work for a big design build firm, uh, with my architecture degree and, uh, probably within a year, uh, of going there, leaned into implementing Revit, uh, took that over nationwide for the firm It was uh, about a billion dollar, uh, design builder, um, And uh, so that felt pretty lucky to do that, you know, a year out of school. Uh, And uh, it's the opportunity when you're on the front end of adopting a new technology and basically grew that from just Revit to Revit Navisworks. And then we added in Avaya and then we realized that was really hard to use. And then we switched to a symbol and, you know, I could throw out a whole handful of additional tools we uh, implemented over the next couple of years. And eventually we bought our own laser scanner. We started scan a bim group. I was running the design technology team basically at, uh, at Beck uh, for almost 10 years and then decided, hey, I, I don't really like random weekend uh, job site engagements and working 60 hours a week, uh, cleaning up other people's messes particularly when I had two kiddos. And so uh, I got the opportunity to come to work for ClearEdge, which was uh, actually a vendor of mine uh, in my prior role. And I've been here for five years building technology into the buildings. So it's been a blast.
0: Now, today we're here to talk about technology. Now, can you give us this, you know, you and I know a lot about ClearEdge and and a lot of the people that are attending Built conferences understand what ClearEdge 3D is all about. But for the listeners that haven't been to one of those events or haven't uh, engaged with you before, can you give the listeners a bit of an insight into what ClearEdge 3D is about and the services that you provide?
1: Absolutely. And in, in a nutshell, um, we try to use uh, computer vision, which is uh, kind of a branch of AI. Depends if you talk to Adam Schiefer or not, and uh, <laughs> whether it is or isn't. But um, it's uh, it's a branch of AI uh, that basically. We try and teach computers to look at things in a way similar to how people look at things to interpret data from it. We focus on reality capture data uh, and all of our solutions right now, that means uh, terrestrial laser scans or mobile laser scans. and Basically, we do it to try and automate tedious processes. So, you know, we've got three different products, we've got uh, one that will automatically extract pipes and ducts and uh, structure and other elements uh, in a building from point cloud data uh, collected by laser scanners. We've got a tool that will compare automatically point clouds to models. So if you're trying to do construction verification or you're trying to make sure your outsourcing partner did a good job doing scan to BEM, um, you can apply that tool. And then we've got a, a solution that's really uh, very, very, well, pardon the pun, laser focused on the concrete scope of work uh, where we will take laser scan data and do things like floor flatness analysis, uh, beam camber, beam deflection uh et cetera et cetera so uh all kind of focused around that concrete scope of work and those uh that's that's edgewise uh that's our scan to bim solution verity is our uh, scan to model comparison tool and rhythm is our uh concrete uh flatness and beam deflection tool so my marketing people would would track me down and kill me if i didn't say the product <laughs> names so
0: <laughs> no it's important also for the listeners that have an interest in seeing what options there are out there to automate the processes that they're currently using now what we want to do is start with the beginning okay so let's start our conversation the way in which surveys and designers normally will capture details of existing built assets now let's focus on that being either at the start of a new project or at the completion so to com- confirm as constructed as constructed uh, information. Now let's go through these steps so that people can kind of understand where we're heading, from where we've been into the type of solutions that you guys offer. How did surveyors capture this information in the past? or even designers?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the hard way um, I, you know, I think all of us that have been on the architecture the engineering side have probably been the intern that had to go out on job site with a tape measure or a laser disto on an existing building and go take a bunch of measurements. I think we've all also been the intern that then got scolded later because we missed some critical measurement we didn't think about. Uh, <laughs> Or we just got everything wrong because we assumed everything was at a 90 degree angle uh, and therefore the building was square and therefore all, all, all of our dimensions might actually add up. Um, uh, you know, we've all been disabused of that uh, by reality. And I think, you know, all of us have handled that with a wonderful text note that says verify in field. <laughs>
0: uh, Cover your so ass,
1: any mate. Yeah, Any contractor's dream text note, verify in field. Oh, okay, great. Yeah, thanks for that. But, you know, if you actually hired a professional to do that work rather than an intern, you know, they would be doing that with a little bit more robust set of tools like a total station. Uh, You know, they could go out there and uh, shoot a bunch of measurements and use that to help validate that uh, the broader dimensions, right? You know, get the overall length, get the overall width, get the overall, you know, squareness of the building, things like that, pluminous. But, you know, ultimately it was kind of a process that was just, Painstaking, bit by bit, put it all together and hope it's good enough that the contractor can build it without too many RFIs, and you know let let uh, <laughs> let, let them sort it out in the field uh, for anything that wasn't right. Now, that's on the front end. You know, on, on the back end, uh, I really appreciate the uh, the question on the back end because it just makes me want to laugh because I think the reality on job sites is it just doesn't get as built. You know, you ask any owner how 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 their as builts are when they get those turnover documents from their contractor and you know, be like what as built? It's just we've never had the tools in this industry, or I should say we've never had both the tools and a fee commensurate yes. uh, with those tools to as built everything. It's just impossible with uh, with the amount of labor we can afford with our fees. So basically spot checking has been the rule of the day in our industry for, you know, a century, you check some small percentage of the work, maybe 2%, maybe 5%. And you assume and hope that the other, you know, 95 or 98% is uh, installed with a similar level of quality. And uh, usually you cherry pick, <laughs> as a contractor and uh, you've done your due diligence, you've met your standard of care and anything that's not right. Well, sorry.
0: Yeah, no, it's, a, it's definitely a hard thing. And here in Australia, still, we struggle to get, you know, accurate as built documents, unless we have clients that have a, a good understanding of their assets and that they're maintaining them for the long duration. And I have had one instance where clients asked me specifically to document in our specifications, the requirements for capturing subterranean uh, services because they own the asset, they're doing multiple stages of work and they don't want to disrupt them. So they want to invest in getting that done right. But the methodology in this total station methodology that you're talking about is where someone, a licensed surveyor will go out and with a stick, which a lot of people do see currently – on major roads around the world, surveyors on, on road signs and they're there with a a, a station sitting there uh, with some witches hats sitting around it and then a guy with a nice bright orange vest on walking around and, and capturing dimensions. So that's the old way of doing it along with the architects and engineers doing <laughs> very uh, painstaking dimension taking and then turning it into... Um, existing drawings now let's move on to more modern technologies now for people that have never heard of laser scanning before or what a laser scanner actually is can you explain what a laser scanner actually is and how it works
1: dark magic (laughs) Uh, so uh, it's it's Ultimately, it's not really any different than a total station. Um, you know, fundamentally, uh, total stations, laser scanners, they are optical instruments. There is a uh, laser, uh, some kind of uh, laser, there's various different sources that emits light. Uh, that light takes an amount of time, very small, to travel from the emitter, hit some surface, bounce back, get picked up by the receiver inside of the instrument. Uh, and by very, very carefully measuring that amount of time, uh, one can basically extrapolate the distance uh, between that that object and the instrument. As you can imagine, this is you know not uh, not something where there's a lot of room for error, given the speed of light. But um, Total stations, most people don't realize this, they don't take a single measurement. Um, when you take a total station and you shoot a prism or you shoot a reflector of a shot on a surface, it takes tens or hundreds of measurements. And it does that because there's always some amount of error in any measurement. There is no such thing as a perfectly accurate measurement. And the way you can reduce that error is basically through statistical analysis. If you take a hundred measurements from the same exact position on the same exact surface, you average those hundred measurements, you get a much more accurate measurement than you would from just a single shot, right? Basic statistics. Um, so with a total station, you do that fixed measuring a fixed point on a prism or a surface the laser scanner. The regime is a little bit different because basically you have a spinning mirror and a spinning head and it, captures anything and everything it can see in a dome around you. Um, so it's like a really fancy 3d picture, but, um, you know, in that case you have millions of measurements, um, but they're not all in the same spot. So there needs to be some kind of additional analysis and software to figure out where things are precisely, but those measurements tend to be plus or minus one millimeter on the high end of the hardware plus or minus five to 10 millimeters on the lower end of the hardware. Um, but you can average that out statistically the same way and get really accurate dimensions on surfaces, uh, presuming you have PhDs with big brains on your development team that can do <laughs> fancy math and, and figure out all that stuff, which fortunately uh, I have those <laughs> on my development team. So um, I'm very lucky to have them. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. You know, the top of the line scanner today takes 2 million measurements in a second as it spins around and it takes, you know, 45 seconds to, you know, do a full dome. So you do the math, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's 90 million measurements in a single scan. Um, and scanning is line of sight, just like total stations. It can't see through the beam or through the wall or through the floor. It just sees what you see. So you have to pick it up and move it right? And so you do it in one spot, pick that, move it somewhere else, do it there. You can stitch the two together, which is a process called registration. Um, or you can survey each spot in and get it on survey control. Then you don't have to do the registration. You can do both, which we call hybrid registration. Big fan of that. Uh, check out Scan University if you want to know why. And then they have mobile scanners, which are super cool, but less accurate, substantially so. Uh, and those you don't have to pick up a stationary thing and move it. You just walk around and it scans as you go. But you take a big step back in accuracy as a result of that. So
0: No, well it was quite fun two years ago before COVID hit when we last caught up in Sydney, Australia and and your uh yourself and one of your teammates are out here walking around the uh, Sydney Convention Centre with a with a backpack, making a lot of people nervous because they're wondering what someone's <laughs> carrying on their back. <laughs> but but at the same time, that's, that's a, that's a technology in a process of capturing information. Now people go, well, actually one quick, one quick question before we kind of move on to other technologies, what is the price point for these tools? You know, they're, they're they're reasonably expensive tools.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the lowest cost terrestrial, so stationary scanner uh, is going to run you in the $20,000 range. Um, for a true laser scanner, the uh, the highest cost instruments will be in the three hundred thousand dollar range, and those will measure up to two kilometers and blah blah blah. Um, so you know there's there's uh, there's some pretty high end stuff out there. Um, obviously, you get what you pay for. And so you can certainly get on the, on the lower end. You get some uh, some decreases in accuracy, kind of get in that mid-range. The sweet spot right now is kind of in that $80,000 range. If you can put in $80,000 on a terrestrial scanner, you can get a really good terrestrial scanner for our kind of use cases. Mobile scanners start a little bit higher. You're generally talking about, you know, $40,000, $50,000 minimum. Those go up to half a million dollars. But uh, that technology is rapidly improving and advancing. And so, you know, those will start to come down as well and get more accurate.
0: But so. translating that to Australian dollars for Australian listeners, that's okay. And, and, and that's, that ranges from about thirty 30,000 Australian dollars, obviously, to the, the, the middle range market, which is probably around mm. the 70 to 100,000 Australian dollars, depending on the exchange rate at the time. Now, that's really expensive, but obviously it, it drives great value in terms of uh, for certain project types we start to see business cases for these sorts of things to occur and there were, for a good example of that was in the lower end budget I was looking to uh, site measure I think four or three aged care facilities which were over 10,000 square metres which uh, in North American terms I think that's around the 120,000 square foot, yeah? Uh, yeah. And I realised the time it would take to do one person to do a scan of the, each of those sites versus the time it would take to do a site measure. You'd need numerous people. I'd figured out it would take about four or five of those facilities to pay off the capital cost of one of those smaller smaller devices. Now, for those that are listening out there that kind of go, but hang on a minute, I've seen some really cool advertising out there from uh, my real estate agents. Uh, Apple are talking about this, you know, these great tools where, I can just take my iPhone and scan things and and why, why would I need one of these really, really expensive laser scanners uh, when my iPhone can do this sort of stuff now? Can you explain yeah. can you explain the difference between what your iPhone is capable of versus these highly accurate expensive tools?
1: I, absolutely. So the, the two big advantages of the fancy expensive tools is going to be accuracy, of course, and speed right at the end of the day so yes you can scan a room with your iphone it'll take you six seven eight minutes to do it thoroughly you're going to have a lot of trouble getting that data into something like revit or archicad Uh, but you can you can certainly do it and uh, the accuracy is going to be plus or minus minus a couple of percentage points which probably doesn't sound like much but um You know, if you think about a 1% accuracy, which would be fantastic result to get out of an iPhone, well, that means, right, for every, uh, gosh, for every meter, you're going to have, you know, 10 mils of error, (laughs) you know, so uh, great. So if you've got a building that's, you know, 10 meters long, are you really okay with, you know,
0: (laughs) 10 centimeters, you know, you're doing the live calculations, (laughs)
1: Yeah. I mean, come on, that's, that's a pretty big gap. And that's, that, that's honestly, you're not going to get that out of an iPhone. Um, you know, you'd be lucky to get probably four or five percentage points out of an iPhone in terms of the accuracy over a distance going in and out of rooms. And so now all of a sudden you're talking about, Oh great. I'm going to be a meter off over, you know, 15 or 20 meters. Uh, okay. is that good enough? No, no, I don't think so. No. So, you know, I, I, I think, I think they're fantastic tools for small kind of looking at a piece of equipment or a particular, you know, feature or something that the client wants. Like my favorite use of that kind of scanner is like, here's a piece of furniture. The client wants, Oh, go scan that thing and pull it in as a point cloud. Great. Fantastic. You don't care if you're a couple centimeters off on a couch and it gives you, real life looking content that you can drop into your model without having to go to the trouble of making a really complex piece of content uh, in your authoring platform. So I think there's really great uses for it, but we're, five, 10 years away from that kind of a tool replacing terrestrial scans. Um, now, eventually it might get there, but we're, we're, we're a ways out.
0: That's where your iPhones are going to have 100 cameras on the back of them, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. And it's going to be like a giant lump with <laughs> tumorous growth on the back of your phone.
0: But also the technology is different. It's not a laser scanner that's based on the back of your iPhone. It's actually based upon a different process called photogrammetry.
1: It's actually, so this is exciting news, it's actually not now. Isn't it? No. So actually the iPhone, they have a real live LiDAR chip. So it's actually Silicon Photonics. So they're actually shooting light actively out of a tiny little sensor to measure range. And they're using the cameras to basically texture map those range measurements. So it's much it's similar to what you saw out of like uh, I don't know if if uh you know Microsoft Connect so this launched back with the Xbox a long time ago um so that was kind of first generation where they're using uh, an infrared emitter with a grid array to basically project out points in a known pattern and then they can look at that pattern and look at the distance, uh, to kind of figure that out with two cameras. Well, they've gotten better and now they can actually get distance measurements out of those, those light pulses. And since they're getting distance measurements, it's actually true LIDAR on an iPhone now. Um, it's not just photogrammetry, but, uh, but it is much less accurate over distance. And so it's just, it's a, it's a really useful tool for certain small things. But if you want to go measure a, you know, 10,000 square meter building, um, really don't recommend doing that with your iPhone or even something like, uh, there's, there's some lower cost instruments like Matterport that use an infrared and a grid array and an emitter. And they're probably like four to 5k to go pick up one of these 360 cameras. They're really great for real estate because you don't really care if you're 2% off, but their accuracy is about plus or minus 2%. So again, you know, hundred meter building, two meters off.
0: Yeah. No, but that's it comes down to that use case, doesn't it? So then when we look at the price of an iPhone here in Australia, we're looking at about 1500 Australian dollars. And the cheaper end of the laser scanners, the the, the dedicated ones, you know, around the 30,000. So it just once again comes down to that price point. Now, yeah. we've touched on it probably already and I'm and I'm just going through it in my mind as to whether or not it's even worthwhile asking this question of you again, but What would you say are the big positives of laser scanning?
1: So, I mean, traditionally, the the primary advantages of laser scanning have been coverage. Um, So when you go out on a job site to measure an existing building, you don't know every dimension that matters. You take as many dimensions as you can with your laser disto and your notepad but you miss stuff. You know, you think, oh, I went out on site and the plan was to demolish all of the MEP and then six weeks later they're like, ooh, that's too expensive, let's reuse some of the MEP. Well, guess what? You didn't capture any of those measurements when you were out on site. Go back to the site, take more measurements. So that, that kind of complete coverage that you get out of a laser scan is fantastic. So you go once capture all the data, you come back and then you use as much or as little of that data as you need. And So that's, that's a big advantage. And then the other is just, you know, actually getting true as built condition. So yes, the walls will be, you know, not plumb. They'll be tilted slightly. They'll be bowed slightly. They'll be whatever they actually are in the real world. And while you may not want your building information model to represent the as built condition at that level of accuracy, that may be, not productive for the design process or for the dimensioning process. Nonetheless, having that point cloud data there so you can make informed decisions about how do you handle that discrepancy is incredibly valuable. So, you know, I I generally recommend people, you know, you never actually want an as-built model. You want a as-intended model, uh, which is kind of this weird version of in between as-built and as designed, it's like the, well, you know, (laughs) yes, the walls bowed a little bit, but let's just model it flat. And yes, the ceiling sags a little bit. Let's just model it flat, but let's model it at the average elevation so that the contractor has a pretty good idea of what they can fit into the plenum. Um, you know, those kind
0: of things. Now one positive I thought you would have touched on, but you didn't, you've got a reasonably high ceiling right there. And I know you're a tall bloke, but, uh, you imagine, uh, this would be a safer methodology for for um, capturing information on large scale projects in terms of high ceiling. So it would save a person uh, climbing up on ladders and or scaffolding or any other thing where working at heights becomes a higher risk. So that's another one from my perspective that adds a huge level of value that doesn't have a price. There's no price attached to it whatsoever apart from, uh, you know, saving one's lives. But what are the negatives of laser scanning, Kelly? And I'm, I'm looking forward to your answers to this one. <laughs> oh, gosh. I mean. <clears throat> Apart from the biggest issue in the room, the biggest elephant, the 1,000 terabyte issue in the room. Cost? <laughs> <laughs> what? No, not, uh... no. No, it's, it's to do with the file sizes.
1: Oh, come on. That's not the biggest elephant. (laughs) I used to be, but now I, I think
0: we all don't have servers like you, Kelly.
1: (laughs) Oh, trust me. I don't I I mean, I do have a NAS up there, but I built it myself. Um, The, uh, I don't know. To to me, the biggest challenge or the biggest, the biggest thing that inhibits uh, adoption in the industry right now is actually the technical complexity to do it successfully. So, you know, actually running the scanner, not that hard, you know, you can train anybody to press the buttons on a scanner and collect scan data, teaching somebody where to set it up to get the best coverage with the fewest number of setups. that's well, it's a little bit harder, but, um, and that's certainly doable teaching somebody to successfully register that data to get the level of accuracy that people expect out of laser scanning. I think that's, that's probably the hardest thing right now. Everybody, all the manufacturers and Topcon is our parent company. And I'm going to tell you all the manufacturers are guilty of this. They all like to pretend that registration is so easy because they're trying to sell hardware. Um, That's how they make the money. So, you know, it's like, Oh, it's so easy. Anybody could do it. And then you actually try and do it across more than 10 scans and you go like, yeah, it's actually kind of hard. And so, you know, I think the technical kind of just the technical complexity is a big barrier. Yes. The file sizes are large, but that is rapidly declining as a barrier because of course now you can buy a 10 terabyte hard drive and put it in your computer and it costs 130 bucks. You know, just the, the price of storage has gone down so much speed of transfer with USB three, so much faster. Um, our internet bandwidth is so much faster and I honestly don't see scan files getting much larger because we're kind of already at the peak of density.
0: Like there's
1: already a scanner that scans 2 million points per second. It scans in 45 seconds. It takes longer to take pictures with the scanner to colorize the points than it does to run the scan. Like, you don't really need a 4 million or 5 million point-per-second scanner, you know, there's other things that need to get done to make this process better. So I think we're, we're kind of capping out on the size of scan files. That's going to plateau and we're pretty, pretty if we're not already there, we're pretty quickly going to be past, you know, the inflection point where that's a minor concern rather than a major concern. And tools like Revit, uh, tools like ArchiCAD, you know, everybody that's got point cloud viewers are handling much larger point clouds much better. And there's ways to break them up to make them more manageable. So, yeah, I, I think it's it really comes down to training people to do the registration, training people to look at the data and understand and interpret the data effectively. And that's, that's really where we're, that's what's kind of capping the growth right now. It's just how quickly can we adopt a technology that's still not super easy to use
0: i think it's quite potent that you mention that people are the problem in terms of training people and getting them to do the right thing which is everything in our industry in terms of trying to adopt new ways of working it's the people that are the hardest thing and I personally have seen an instance where we've done, you know, examples, where, you know, where a salesperson's come in with a laser scanner and said, "Oh, here you go. This is how we do it. It all works with, with this tool, and it connects directly to an iPad, and then this software processes it all." Is there a method? Of, is there a, a tech? Is it technology that's holding it back? Because the whole whole thing is is that some things, obviously, can be made easier through the, the <laughs> use of technology, uh, but then because humans are never going to be capable, if we just assume humans at the lowest common denominator of, of expertise and saying, well, here, here's this tool, we've taken all of the potential failure points out of it. Is it, is, can technology <laughs> – I know you're sitting there going, geez, you're dreaming and, you know, I want, I want 50,000 times more developers to do what you're talking about. But yeah. do, do you think that technology has a way of kind of bridging a little bit more of that gap that we're facing because humans are struggling to bridge the gap.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, if you'd asked me this question 10 years ago, I would have been like, people are the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <people. laughs> Give me robots. Um, having, having spent five years working at a software company, basically training bots in a manner of speaking behind the scenes to interpret point cloud data. Um, you know, <laughs> Robots suck too. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, I'm, I'm, you know my my perspective on this, I think, has wizened a bit, uh, or maybe become more jaded. I don't know which way to say it, but um, it's just more aware. More, yeah, and, and that's 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 certainly true. Um, but at the end of the day, I think. People, yes, have a hard time changing. Um, I find that people, given the right incentives, change quite easily um, because we're very adaptable. So, you know, my kind of experience 10 years doing VDC stuff in a big firm is that mainly I did the first eight years of it wrong, (laughs) which was that
0: you're doing a lot of learning.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I was trying to focus on here's how the technology, you know, makes your life easier. Here's how the technology is better. Here's how the technology is cooler. It's more interesting. You get to have more fun. Like I was, I was focused on the wrong thing. And it, it took me a number of years to realize at the end of the day, it's just a business decision. And so I, I think, you know, when you try and force technology on people without a compelling business reason to do so, you get a lot of resistance and there may even be a compelling business reason to do so. But if you can't articulate it, not everybody is capable of seeing it for you, right? And so the trick is to figure out how to articulate the compelling business proposition. And then it becomes really easy to implement the technology if there is one. And so, you know, I, to me, it's like, yes, yes, People resist change. But if you show people, if you show a project manager how they can produce the same amount of work with seven people instead of 10 people, and that means he gets to have the most profitable project in company history, which means he's going to get promoted to principal, he's going to flip and do it. But if you tell him, huh? You'd hope. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, you hope, right? But and yes, there's always the Luddites, But most reasonable people in that situation will do it if they believe you, um, and that that involves you know proving out credibility and doing it in small steps, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, we could spend hours talking about the the, the trials and tribulations of technology implementation. And I would, you know, I just sum it up by saying I think it's a balance. The technology needs to get progressively easier to use as it does it becomes viable for a larger percentage of the population to use it and so there's a Oh, man, I can't remember the book right now. It's like the innovators. Uh, Anyway, there's a there's a lovely curve that talks about, you know, uh, you've got the early adopters. You've got, you know, the uh, kind of middle of the road people. You've got the Luddites, the laggards, whatever you want to call them. There's
0: a chasm of whatever it's called.
1: Crossing the chasm. Thank you. You triggered the right word. So, yes, crossing the chasm. So it's it's a great book because I think it talks pretty effectively about that balance. So there are people who will adopt technology even when it sucks just because they want to and because it's part of their identity. Then there's people who will you know, adopt technology because it makes sense or because they see promise. Then there's people that will do it because it makes sense. And then there's people that will never, ever do it to hell with you. And you ignore those people because they will eventually be replaced either by retirement or by losing their jobs. You focus on the ones that will adopt it Reasonably, And the goal is to get the technology to the point that a reasonable person will adopt it. And I feel like we're probably across the chasm with laser scanning, but it's very recent. And so, you know, we're still making improvements to make it easier for more and more people to adopt. But I think we're getting really close. If we're not already across, we're really close, close to that point. So I, I, I'm... I'm pretty, pretty bullish on the next five years in terms of adoption of reality capture in the industry because I think it's just getting easier and easier to do. It's getting cheaper to do. And man, it's really hard to justify not doing it on a renovation project right now if you actually know it and understand it. It's just, it's it's really hard to not do it.
0: No, I can perfectly understand that. Now, moving on to the next phase. So we've got this uh, beautiful point cloud and uh, we've 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 we're absorbed with all this data to the point where, as a designer, we are probably overwhelmed. Once we uh, have brought these point clouds into our BIM authoring softwares, the challenge is is that, in my view, and this is my, I'd be interested to capture your ideas on this one as well. But my views were is that I wouldn't save any time on the production of the existing conditions. From either a you know noted noted sketch of you know all the dimensions that I'd taken from an old ma- method versus converting a point cloud into a model, I, my, I've always kind of seen those processes as being equal time in, in generation. Now that's because the process of trying to deduct the average manually of a point cloud for walls and floors and ceilings and the like can take a little bit of time just a little bit and and people can't see we are talking to each other via video yeah. link so yeah, there is something. some little fun fun uh, hand gestures pointing to each other but yeah just the, the, a little bit the, the the thing is is that we've turned around and we've got a process where we're now using laser scanners to capture information so we're capturing information more accurately and more efficiently and hopefully more effectively um, <laughs> moving moving forward to the process of actually turning that into a model in our authoring platforms now that's the type of thing that i think is where the the leap of automation needs to occur and thankfully i'm talking to the right person today (laughs) surprise surprise Um, we have had numerous conversations about your product and where it's heading into the future but things that we can't talk about on this on this call today but one of the things i do want to understand and for the listeners to understand is about your products that can automate the process of from point cloud to a model that is essentially a use, a, a base. And you're, you're admitting that the automation, or the automation isn't 100% perfect, and nothing is because it's still the computers are still learning like we are. Uh, but it captures certain architectural elements, it captures certain structural elements, and it captures. Uh, certain mechanical, electrical elements, and converts them. So, do you want to just talk through briefly what that process is, and then, and what actually eventuates in our authoring platforms?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, for people that have never worked with a point cloud before uh, in their in their authoring application, you, you basically have three choices. You model it manually. So think of it as almost like tracing a CAD background, except you're just tracing a 3D background, uh, that happens to be ridiculously accurate. Um, uh, so there's, there's one way to do it. That tends to be very manual. It tends to be a little tedious. So you spend a lot of time like, well, is this the middle of the wall? Is that the middle of the wall? I don't know. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, it's—I will say—it's still better than doing it from hand measurements written down in a journal. Um, so you know, don't don't. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. I'm, I I will get on a soapbox about how often new technology gets compared to perfection rather than what it's replacing, and that's that's also a huge barrier to adopting technology. It's like, well, it's not perfect. Well, yeah, because an intern measuring with a tape measure in the field is perfect. No. Mm-hmm crazy anyway um the uh you know so it's 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 a it's a good way as a starting point and I, i encourage anybody to try it Uh, because it's hard to evaluate the other two options if you haven't tried it the hardest way. Um, Kind of the next option is what I will call manual extraction. So rather than tracing, um, basically this is where you use uh, the computer to computationally figure out where the thing is, right? So you basically draw a little box around a pipe and the computer figures out how big the pipe is and it puts a pipe there. And there's a bunch of tools that do that. So, you know, that's, you know, sure, our software can do that, but so can, you know, 15 other vendors software. Um, So that is a a way to improve the accuracy substantially of that modeling process, because the computer is, I guarantee you, going to be better at figuring out where the average of 10 million points are than you are um, as a person. And it's going to do it with accurate slope and twist and anything else, right? So, um, you know, whereas the person will just assume it's plumb when they go through that process. Now, you may or may not want that additional accuracy, in which case there may or may not be a big advantage to doing so, because you're still touching every single object yourself. Um, The last option is automated extraction. And there really aren't many companies that do that. Um, so, uh, we're really the only one focused on the vertical construction space. Um, so our software will automate specific things because everybody wants the easy button. We want to make the easy button, but turns out it's really
0: hard. Uh, (laughs) If the easy button was easy, everyone would have easy buttons.
1: Exactly, exactly. So, uh, so, you know, it turns out it's really stinking hard, you know, that we have an algorithm that will, you can send it terabytes of point cloud data, and it will find 80 to 90% of the cylinders in that point cloud data, uh, model them very accurately, and to do it in a very short amount of time, uh, which is wonderful. But that's not going to help you get rectangular duct, and that's not going to help you get W sections, and that's not going to help you get, so, you know, every one of these things is like a bespoke algorithm with man years of development behind it. And so, you know, right now we have tools that will do pipes, we can do, um, structural, uh, members, so wood, steel, concrete, uh, based on catalogs. Uh, when I say, and I shouldn't say pipes, we do cylinders, which could be pipes, could be conduit, could be round duct and then we have some tools to help out but with less automation uh, on rectangular duct and then a cable tray and then we can do some stuff with terrain and then we have a we have one that's focused on walls and that one also has a very high degree of automation so we'll get 60 70 80% of the walls uh, for you Does everything join perfectly? Is everything the right height? Do we get some false positives? Yes, because computers aren't perfect. So if you've got nearly floor to ceiling doors and you leave the doors can it open at 45 degree angles when you scan, guess what? Every door is going to look like a wall, right? (laughs) But I guarantee you, I guarantee you, you can delete 30 doors that think they're walls a heck of a lot quicker than you can model 400 walls. I think so. And so part of it is also just getting used to a slightly different process. When you go down this automation route, you have to realize that you're no longer the modeler, that you're actually the QAQC person. Like your job is to QAQC what the computer does and to focus on that. So get rid of the handrails that aren't actually pipes to get rid of the, you know, doors that aren't actually walls um, to, you know, join walls together that maybe didn't quite meet cause there's shadows and gaps in the scan data. So, um, it's a very different process, but just as a rough ballpark, you know, most of our customers, uh, if you ask them, if they were planning on spending a thousand man hours to do scan to BIM on a project, if they use our software, we'll cut that down to 400 hours or 300 hours or 200 hours right? Depending on the scope of work and what they're modeling. So, you know, a 50 to 80% reduction in man hours that can have a pretty positive impact on your profitability uh, as a business.
0: But also your program. (laughs) Everyone wants everything yesterday.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, it, it helps it absolutely with schedule. Um, You know, there's, there's all sorts of things and it's not going to do everything for you, but it, you know, I always like to describe our software and most automation solutions, they're there to give you a head start. They're not there to replace you. They're not there to get rid of half your team. They're there to give you a head start. And if you use them properly, they give you a massive head start. And that gives you a competitive advantage over anybody not using that kind of a tool. Um, and hopefully it helps you win more work. You know, you get to decide whether you want to, you know, use that extra money as more profit or lower pricing or a mixture of both, you know, when you're going out there and chasing work. But uh but yeah, I mean that's I could talk about Verity and Rhythm too and these similar stuff. But at the end of the day, going from Scan to BEM, we're here to give you a head start. And then you'll use other tools. You know, we don't really see ourselves in competition with any of the other vendors out there. You know, our quote unquote competition, most of our customers use our software first, and then they use their software because their software does other things that our software doesn't do, it's still helpful for them. And so it's kind of a, you know, our software, then their software, then it goes into the authoring platform. Um, So it's a mixture and that's perfectly fine with us.
0: So it's a complementary suite of tools to essentially enable you to get an outcome rather than just thinking that one tool will do everything.
1: Yeah. We're not, we're not at that point. There is no Archicad or, revit for scanning right it's it's still something where you're putting a couple of tools together to kind of get the whole process soup to
0: nuts oh even archicad and revit don't work sold by themselves they need they need uh a few extra bits and bobs to uh to give you all of the tools that you need but yeah i know that we've we've gone well into this discussion and i know that we could probably talk for an hour alone on this but um if, you, if someone is looking to engage someone to undertake laser scanning, what would be one of the key things or a couple of the key points that they that you recommend that they consider in their scope of work request? Absolutely. Because uh, you know we talk about this, this could be a whole conversation in itself and yeah. I think I've seen presentations that built on this itself. But um, in terms of like a, a couple of key points without kind of being over the top –
1: yeah. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing that I would encourage people to do is really think about what accuracy you actually need you, because a lot of people want to specify something ridiculous and with ridiculous specifications come ridiculous costs. So the other thing I've noticed is part of the reason people think laser scanning is so expensive is because they ask for something like three millimeter accuracy across a, you know, 10,000 square meter project. Well, okay. It, can be done, but it costs a lot of money. If you're okay with a 10 millimeter accuracy across the whole project, a lot cheaper. Um, so really think about what level of accuracy you need uh, out of the scan data. And then if you're engaging more than just scanning, if you're engaging scan to BIM and you're actually deliverable, you know, you're know, deliverable as a model, um, I would encourage people to think, you know, very much like you would doing your own BIM implementation plan. You don't model everything at the same level of detail, right? The, you know, you don't model every nut and bolt on everything in the project. You only model nuts and bolts on stuff that matters to model nuts and bolts on. So the same thing is very much true of laser scanning and scan to BIM. Ask, you know, think about it as, a, as by scope. Break down your project by scope and think, um, how accurately do I need walls? How accurately do I need ceiling tiles. How accurately do I need this? How? And because, again, the higher the accuracy demand, the higher the cost. And on a lot of these things, people don't need it to be plus or minus three or five mils. They just don't. Um, And if you don't, don't put it down because that's just going to blow your cost up. If you want a good resource for that, it is a U.S. resource, but there's a group called the U.S. Institute of Building Documentation. It's www.usibd.org. And they've got, uh, it's like a $250 membership or something, and they've got all these documents for RFPs, RFQs, they have a level of accuracy spreadsheets, a lot like the level of detail spreadsheets that you're probably familiar with in BIM execution plans but it's specific to scanning, super low price to pay to get something that'll help you go through that process. That's been tried and true, you know, tried and tested, I guess I should say. Um, so great resource. Yeah, there's a US in front of it, but just ignore that and focus on the IBD and uh, take advantage of that. And then um, yeah, I, th- I think that's 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 the that's a short level. version. That's is, that's, that's really important
0: that's really important though to understand though, because even when you deal with normal licensed surveyors, and this was a conversation I had with a licensed surveyor about accuracy that we nominated in our general specification of, of expected accuracy for certain areas and certain elements for a, a traditional survey from a total station. And people need to understand that tolerances of levels within grass, for example, you can't get it within 10 millimetres. If you put it within 30, 40 millimetres, uh, you know, you, you half the price in terms of how much it costs to capture that to that accuracy, so people really need to think about that benefit and the the level of accuracy specification um, that you talked about, Kelly. I I think it's a it's a powerful tool in terms of, and my view is is that it actually should be that should be actually used for a rem- level of development should actually be re- removed at the end of design and the level of accuracy specification should be put in place for as constructed and for existing conditions, I think, because the LODs mean nothing once once an element's actually in place. And the beauty of that specification is, is they have different classifications for accuracy. So you don't have a blanket requirement for uh, each item to be within certain accuracy. So, for example, and this is something that's really important, is it is it just important to know that there's a light-fitting Within that space, so you could say, well, the ceiling has a light fitting. I know it's within hundred millimeters. That's okay. Whereas uh, certain pipework in certain walls, you might want them more accurate. But you've also got to remember about the methodology of capturing this information. So, in an existing built asset, are they going to be removing wall linings to actually, or ceilings as so the ceiling a ceiling tile? system or is it a flush set ceiling where you actually can't get into the ceiling space so they're the key things to think about i think before you embark on looking to get this pricing undertaken and you know we've talked about the benefits of laser scanning from an asset owner's perspective um, earlier in this series once we spoke to greta from brisbane airport corporation but i think today we've talked about the technical side of it and uh no, Kelly, thanks very much for your time, mate. Greatly appreciated.
1: Hey, my, my pleasure. Happy to chat more another time. I do have to say I really want to meet your duck.
0: Oh, well, thankfully the microphone at my end is not picking it up in the recording, but uh, it's a set of crows that are very happy at this time of year that just – it's um it's baby season over here for all of the uh, animals and birds being spring on our side of the globe.
1: That ruins my ducks in a row joke. <laughs> I don't know. Oh well. crows in a row.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's, it's it's a challenge, isn't it? But one question, mate, one final question, one that I ask every one of my guests. What does BIM mean to you?
1: So, so yeah, I'll, this is, you know, this is my favorite old soapbox. So I, I am a big believer that the modeling in, in BIM, building information modeling does not stand for what you think it stands for. And I don't mean you specifically, I think you and I've actually had this conversation like four years ago, but to me, you know, the value in BIM is not th- I, the B in BIM is the 3d model of the building. It's the building that we already have building we don't need to say building and model i is obviously information but you know anybody that's watched the weather understands when they talk about the weather model that's what the model in BIM is supposed to stand for. It's it's a model from which to predict outcomes. That's the entire purpose. That's why we do BIM. We do BIM to predict outcomes, whether it's schedule, whether it's cost, whether it's quality of design, whether it's you know, how it looks when you sit down in this chair or walk through the lobby. There, BIM is a tool to predict outcomes. And if you stop thinking about it as a modeling tool as if the model is the end result and you start thinking about it as a modeling tool to predict the outcome that is a complete change in perspective of how you think about applying them as a business and so that's that's particularly when i'm talking to executives or principals or people like that and they bring this up like that is the thing i harp on is like guys you're thinking about it wrong that's bim doesn't create a 3d model bim creates the opportunity for you to predict the schedule to predict the cost or predict this or predict that and if you're not using it for that you're using it wrong um so stop thinking you know it's like the i don't know if princess bride is as big in australia as it is in the united states for people of my our age range but it's like you keep using that word but i do not think it means what you think it means like that's (laughs) That's modeling in BEM. As you keep saying modeling, but it doesn't mean what you think it means. It means predictive analysis. That's what it's for. So that's that's my BEM soapbox in a nutshell.
0: No, I think that's very eloquent, and I think it it has a true sense to it. I focus on the information side, and uh, I like how you change the the uh, the view on how people see modeling. But uh, thanks again for your time, Kelly. Greatly appreciated and. For more information on Kelly and ClearEdge 3D, please head over to the podcast section on the Skewed website for further reading. I look forward to sharing our next podcast with you in a fortnight's time. Until then, good luck with your digital transition. transition.